And we are live. <laughs> totally live. Live during this pre recording. Absolutely oh, yeah. love it. Super stoked. Genesis 36. We're reading it in the NASB. Chapter. 36 starts with verse 1. Justin, do you want to tackle verse 1 of chapter 36? Yes, I do. 36, verse 1. Now, these are the records of the generations of Esau, that is, Edom. Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan, Adah, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and Olibama, the daughter of Anna, the granddaughter of Zibion the Hivite, also Basamath, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebaeth. Ada bore Eliphaz to Esau, and Basamath gave birth to Rule, and Aholibama gave birth to Jush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all his household, and his livestock, and all his cattle, and all his property, which he had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to another land, away from his brother Jacob. For their possessions had become too great for them to live together, and the land where they resided could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau lived in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. Awesome. So we have a lot of genealogy going on in this chapter in general and if you're anything like me when you see genealogy in the bible or a listing of a bunch of names or a bunch of cities or whatever your brain likely has a hard time not shutting off okay my brain used to shut off during these these entire sections okay like my i would just completely go brain dead well this, this, these sections, right, are absolutely important. And in particular, right, the Bible is not just a uh, historical record that is meant to appeal to, you know, people reading the Bible for the first time, okay? This book also is something that you could study for your entire life and still be able to learn something new every time you pick it up, okay? So... Just be aware, these are really important chapters, and these are really valuable for many reasons. Specifically, I think where you get a lot of value from these chapters is when you studied the Bible more and you have some of this under, under your belt a little bit more. When you come back to this, it, it makes more sense. Anyways, we can all have it make sense together for us today, but what we're gonna we'll do our best to kind of fight through some of this genealogy. Anyways, so couple things. There's two paragraphs that were just read. Okay. Verses two through five was a listing of Esau's three wives and five sons. And then verses six through eight, there is um, basically the, the conversation about ultimately Esau leaving the land of Canaan. 
And so uh, first starting off, this genealogy shows a couple things. One is that there are, there, it, this is a fulfillment of, of God's promise to Abraham to multiply his seed. Okay. And so even though th this seed is coming from Abraham, it's not the promised seed. It's not the seed that is like the, the, the lineage going down to Jesus. Nonetheless, this is a multiplying of Abraham's seed as God ultimately promised. So that's one thing that this ultimately shows. The second thing this also shows is a, a list of descendants that we'll ultimately see later on in the history of Israel. And there's some connections ultimately to be made here. So while every single one of these names might not mean a whole lot up, and, up until this point, later on in the history of Israel, some of these names are going to ultimately be coming back. So that's kind of what the first paragraph with the second paragraph, there's something interesting going on here. Esau, we see kind of a reminiscent of Abraham and Lot in which these two people groups are growing and seeing so much success, Abraham and Lot, that ultimately they determine it's best that they separate in order to live with more prosperity, essentially. Um, verse seven says, for their possessions had become too great for them to live together in the land where they resided could not support them because of their livestock. So there have some challenges for the land ultimately supporting how wealthy and rich that these, that both Jacob and Esau's families were experiencing. Now, what's interesting here is that Esau ultimately leaves the land of Canaan and goes to live in the hill country of Sire. Well, why is that interesting? One is that Esau and all his descendants were born in the land of Canaan, which is ultimately the promised land. Okay, that's the promised land that God ultimately promises to the descendants of Abraham. That's the land in which God promises to them. All of Esau's sons were ultimately born in this land, and he decides to ultimately leave. Whereas Jacob, his sons, Almost all of them were born in the land in the north where Laban ultimately lived with him and his family. Jacob's sons were born there, and Jacob ultimately comes back to the promised land. Uh, I think in a, in, for multiple reasons. One, that's where his family is, but, but very much likely Jacob was taking heed to God's desire for ultimately for him to come back there and to ultimately fulfill the promise that God made to him as well. And so that's the, that's, you know, a few comments about these two paragraphs, Justin. Yeah. So, uh, like you said, Henry, this is a chronology of, of Esau. And so Esau, uh, had three wives, Adah, Aholibama and Basimath. Um, but we see in Genesis 26, 34, that it records him as having his wives being Judith and Bari. And then Genesis 28, 9 records him additionally marrying Maha Alath. And uh, there could be different reasons that Moses did not list the prior three here. Um, maybe that some of them had died early, or maybe their names were changed. Um, maybe Moses may have not found it relevant to record 
certain names for, for maybe certain reasons. I don't know. Um, but we do know that, that it, based on the text here, that Esau's wife, Aholibama, had already lived in the land of Seir, um, which later became known as the land of Eden. Uh, before, So it's was, it named Seir, though, before uh, Esau moved there. And I believe Seir means rugged. Uh, it was a rugged land. So, so the word Edom means red, and it had red rocks everywhere um, in the land of Seir, which became Edom. And Esau was reddish at birth, as recorded in scripture. And this was actually a, a great place um, to have a fortress because there were, there were uh, mountainous canyons um, and, and these ravines. And so some of the canyons were 6,000 feet high, <clears throat> which would give the, the military who lived there um, an advantage. So there, were, there are records where a uh, hundred men of a hundred Edomites could defeat an army of a thousand because of the crevices, because they already had the high ground <clears throat> and how the invading army would have to be funneled through these crevices. Um, so later on, we, we read, we learn a lot more about Edom and Seir in the book of Obadiah. So throughout this chapter, though, Moses emphasizes that Esau is Edom. So as Henry was talking about, Canaan was the land that God gave to, to Jacob, but Edom or Seir was the land that God gave to Esau. And we see that in, in some verses that I wanted to read. Deuteronomy 2, uh, 1 through 5. Then we turned and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me, and we circled Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, you have circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north and command the people saying, you are going to pass through the territory of your brothers, the sons of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. Do not provoke them, for I will not give you any of their land, not even as much as a footprint, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. And then Joshua 24.4, to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. <clears throat> so th this was relevant to an Israelite audience because this gave the origins of one of their national enemies, unfortunately. But as we saw in this chapter, that Esau and Jacob separated peacefully, even though later the two nations that came from them would have a lot of conflict. And this actually goes back to a prophecy that God gave to Rebekah when she was pregnant, which is in Genesis 25, verse 23. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So real quick, um, well, from what I read, these are the same three women that, are, that he married previously, two in, in chapter 26, one in chapter 28. They're just yeah, so that might be, and their names are just being portrayed differently here. Yeah, and their names are from from what I read, women often received new names when they were married, and so with regards to those names, that would explain the connection there. Mm -hmm. I think one more uh, thing to point out here is just um, the who Esau took his wives from. If we recall from previous chapters, um, 
Esau's mother, Rebecca, wasn't thrilled about Esau's wives. And she specifically used that as an excuse to send Jacob away to go get a wife from her brother, Laban, one of her daughters, which would be one of his cousins, ultimately. This was back in the day. Don't recommend this now. But Esau, on the other hand, he married women of the lands. And Rebecca just wasn't super stoked on this. And I just, you know, ultimately, if you see kind of where a nation ultimately goes, I think Esau's choice and wise probably didn't help that you know um justin maybe you can comment on this but esau's descendants weren't exactly a prime example of modeling your lives after and i i would just say that i mean especially with who you marry can have a huge influence not just on yourself but many hundreds thousands Tens of thousands of people later on, your choices can have a big impact on ultimately the the, the future of an entire people group. Um, and I would just say be very very cautious. That's kind of with like a major decision, even with little decisions, right? Those can have huge influences on other people as well. Justin, do you have any commentary on the descendants of Esau? Yes, I do. Um, like I had referenced earlier, the Book of Obadiah um, talks a lot about this, but. In the book of Obadiah, uh, God actually is judging the, the, the land of Edom, the descendants of Esau. And so he talks about the things they did wrong, why he is going to bring destruction on them. And then he talks about how those people will actually cease to exist because of all the terrible things that they did to Israel. And uh, we see this prophecy actually come true. Um, the last Edomite through history was actually traced to around 70 AD or the last Edomites. <clears throat> actually, they were killed in the, uh, the Jewish rebellion. There was a rebellion uh, in, in the land of Israel in 70 AD, and they were, they were killed by Roman soldiers. So they had became an enemy of Israel. They attacked Israel, and uh, God ended up judging them for it. And it's hard to, you know, I'm not trying to blame like Esau's wives for all of this, but um, taking wives of the land would likely introduce idolatry, you know, into your household potentially and, and other practices that maybe weren't God honoring. Um, and so the reality is, I think oftentimes we look at sin as this, you know, trivial, trivial, thing that's like, oh, I sin, you know, I'll just ask for forgiveness, whatever, you know, when in reality, it's like your decision, decisions, whether they be sins or maybe not a sin, but unwise can have impacts on many, many, many future generations. And my guess is that Rebecca, her dislike of Esau's wives wasn't because they were kind, loving, God-honoring women, you know, my guess is that for some other reason, she probably wasn't super stoked. And so with that said, um, 
we can move on to verse nine. Unless you had something else to say, Justin. <clears throat> nope, we're good. Okay. Verse nine. These then are the records of the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Esau's wife, Adah, and Reuel, the son of Esau's wife, Basimath. The sons of Eliphaz were Taman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Canaz. Timnah was a concubine of Esau's son, Eliphaz, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These are the sons of Esau's wife, Adah. And these are the sons of Reuel. Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These were the sons of Esau's wife, Basemath. And these were the sons of Esau's wife, Aholibama, the daughter of Anah, the granddaughter of Zibion. She bore to Esau Jeush, Jalah, and Korah. Verse 15, these are the chiefs of the sons of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, are Chief Teman, Chief Omar, Chief Zepho, Chief Kenaz, Chief Korah, Chief Gatam, and Chief Amalek. These are the chiefs' descendants from Eliphaz in the land of Eden. These are the sons of Adah, and these are the sons of Reuel, Esau's sons, Chief Nahath, Chief Zerah, Chief Shammah, and Chief Mizah. These are the chief's descendants from Reuel in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Esau's wife, Basemath. And these are the sons of Esau's wife, Aholibama. Chief Jeush, Chief Jalam, and Chief Korah. These are the chiefs descended from Esau's wife, Aholibama, the daughter of Anah. These are the sons of Esau, that is Edom, and these are their chiefs. So as we see here, Esau had five sons and 10 or 11 grandsons. From what I read, it's a little unclear um, about Korah, if Korah was in the original manuscripts or, or how that was translated. Um, but either way, Esau had around 10 or 11 grandsons. So each of his grandsons and some of his sons uh, were chiefs or leaders of a tribe. It appears that Esau became a very prominent leader. Um, obviously, as we're reading here, he was the head of a nation. And so a lot of his descendants continued to be just th those leaders in the nation. Um, this section, verses 9 through 14, we see that Esau has five sons, like you said, 10 to 11 grandsons. And then verses 15 through 19, we start learning about the chiefs who are politi political or military leaders who are descended from Esau as well. So we actually do have a nice little graph here that I pulled up on the internet. 
and it seems to organize all of these names based upon Esau's wife and then son and then grandson. And so um, that might help kind of organize ultimately all these names. Verse 20, these are the sons of Seir, the Horite, the inhabitants of the land, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anah, Deshan, Ezer, and Deshan. These are the chiefs descended from the Horites, the sons of Seir in the land of Edom. And the sons of Lotan were Hori and Imam. And Lotan's sister was Timnah. And these are the sons of Shobal. Elvan, Monahath, Ibal, Shepho, and Onam. And these are the sons of Zibion, Ai, and Anah. He is the Anah who found the hot springs in the wilderness when he was pasturing the donkeys of his father Zibion. And these are the children of Anah, Deshan and Aholibama, the daughter of Anah. And these are the sons of Deshan, Hemdam, Eshban, Ethran, and Charon. These are the sons of Ezer, Bilhan, Zavan, and Akan. These are the sons of Deshan, Uz, and Aran. These are the chiefs descended from the Horites, Chief Latan, Chief Shabal, Chief Zibion, Chief Anah, Chief Deshan, Chief Azur, and Chief Deshan. These are the chiefs descended from the Horites, according to their various chiefs in the land of Seir. So now these verses we see switch to talk about the family of Seir, the Horite. Um, I believe these are the people who originally lived in the land before Esau became the leader of that area, and it was changed. Uh, its name was changed to Edom. So this man Seir had seven sons, and these sons became Horite chiefs, and from them came twenty children, which of whom was one of Esau's wives, a holy Bama, who was Seir's great granddaughter. Verse 31. Now these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the sons of Israel. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, and the name of his city was Din-Habah. Then Bela died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah of Basra, became king in his place. Then Jobab died, and Husham of the land of the Temanites became king in his place. Then Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Hadad, who defeated Midian in the field of Moab, became king in his place. And the name of his city was Avith. Then Hadad died, and Samlah of Masrekah became king in his place. 
then Samlah died, and Shaul of Rehoboth of the Euphrates River became king in his place. Then Shaul died, and Baal Hanan, the son of Akbar, became king in his place. Then Baal Hanan, the son of Akbar, died, and Hadar became king in his place. And the name of this city was Pau, and his wife's name was Mehetabel, the daughter of Matred, daughter of Mezahab. First things first, I feel like I'm at a graduation ceremony with the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> and hear the guy slaughtering names. He's just slaughtering them. Okay. That's, I'm that guy right now. Um, it's, I mean, those guys at the call, I'll say this at the college graduations at these big universities, they do have like someone who's an absolute professional at reading these things. And because no one wants to get their name wrong on their graduation ceremony, but, um, Justin. Yeah. So in this section, we see that there were already established Kings in the land of Edom. And along with this, we actually see a, a prophetic statement in the sense that um, it talks about this. They were kings in Edom before the times of the kings in Israel. So when Moses wrote this, there were no kings in Israel. They hadn't even taken over the promised land. They hadn't conquered Canaan yet. And so uh, we see that God spoke through Moses here in, in a prophetic way in that sense, talking about looking toward the future kingdoms of, kingdoms of Israel. That's it. That's all I have for that part. Love it. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Justin. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, finally, we're kind of wrapping up our last little paragraph up here. And <laughs> <laughs> I just think that um, this has been fun. I, I've, been, I've, had, I've enjoyed this chapter just as much as I've enjoyed any other chapter that we've really read at this point. So verse 40, we're bringing it home now. Now, these are the names of the chiefs descended from Esau, according to their families and their localities by their names. Chief Timnah, Chief Alva, Chief Jetheth, Chief Ohalibama, Chief Allah, Chief Penon, Chief Kanaz, Chief Timon, Chief Mibzar, Chief Magdiel and chief Aram. These are the chiefs of Edom. That is Esau, the father of the Edomites, according to their settlements in the land of their possession. We did it. We got through it. So um, verses 40 through 43, uh, these verses show that Esau became a, a powerful ruler. And this shows that the rulers that descended from Esau uh, were also uh, powerful rulers and leaders in that area. And so Esau was the father of the Edomites who took over the land of Seir. And we see that Isaac's prophecy of Esau turned out being fulfilled. And we can read this prophecy in Genesis 27, 39 through 40, or I'm sorry, uh, I'm just starting with 38 though. Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me. As well, my father. So Esau raised his voice and wept. Then his father Isaac answered him and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. 
and by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. So we see how this section is kind of setting up of, of Esau uh, to become this powerful nation that will break, uh, break away uh, from Israel and, and like ultimately, like we talked about, become enemies uh, with them, but will no longer, at some later point in history, they, they no longer became subservient. They, they became a, a, a worthy adversary. Absolutely. You know, um, to wrap up kind of my thoughts, you know, with all this genealogy, there is a lot to be learned here. There's a lot of in-depth study, people that do a lot, a lot of study on this type of deal. And that's very important. We want that. This shows that the Bible is a historical document. This isn't just a bunch of fun stories put together, right? I feel a little bit nervous using the word story because it's you know you wouldn't you wouldn't call something that i did last week a story you wouldn't call something i did when i was a little kid a story you would call it you know something that happened and in the bible the stuff we're reading here is stuff that actually happened and so ultimately these names and these people that existed you know there's been people that are naysayers you know people that um are looking to uh, discredit the bible and whenever they've whenever they've said like oh that person never existed or if that person ever existed many times they've, they've found been found to be eating their words you know through archaeological digs in which they find ultimately this person reference from history here or there or whatever it is and so this is this is a, a tough chapter to read on your own. I'm excited that we all get to read together because it, it's more fun reading these chapters together than it is on your own without any type of commentary that you can read alongside it to learn a little bit more why these names are ultimately important. If you're just reading this first time through, this all just flew over my head. You know what I mean? Like, didn't even see it. It went so fast. And so... Um, Thank you for bearing through this with us and through the name pronunciations. We are not name pronunciation experts. That is true. So uh, the application I see as we're closing out the story of Esau is that Esau was exposed to biblical truth, right? I mean, he was the, he was the son of Isaac. He was the, the grandson of Abraham. This guy was exposed to biblical truth, but he did not act on it. And so we did not experience those blessings. So this is a reminder to us that while salvation comes through faith alone, that knowledge should have an impact on our lives. Uh, we need to make God the focus of our lives and develop Christian habits. You know, I was, uh, I've talked to my mother before about just life and how quick it goes. And, and she's older now and she tells me i mean it, it, the time went by so quickly it seemed like yesterday she was young and 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 now just the years have slipped by and i've heard other people talk about that how the older you get the time time goes faster and there's people i've heard talk about man i meant to do something it's like all of a sudden a year went by and then another year and so if if you are living if you're a christian and you're living a mediocre christian life i promise you with certainty that you will regret it 
the years will, will come and go. And at some point you will realize how much precious time you wasted by not making God the center of your life. My perspective on the time we have here and what we're meant to do with it is that I, I believe that when we get to heaven, all that will have mattered is what we did for Christ. I agree. You know, I think there's there's times whenever I was younger where I didn't want to miss out, right, on doing the bad stuff or the stuff that the Bible tells you not to do. I was concerned about missing out on that, and I was like, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna uh, get better whenever I'm older, right? You know, I'm just gonna wait till I'm older. And you know, not a single one, not a single one of those memories in which I was doing something that the Bible called me not to do. I don't look back on those memories with this like fondness, like, man, that was such a, you know, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad I experienced that. Not a single one. You know what I mean? In fact, I see that as if I should replace that time with something else, those are the, those are the fonder memories that I have, right? Those are the, those are the fond memories that I have. You're totally not missing out by not doing whatever the Bible calls a sin. You're not missing out at all. Okay. In fact, you're doing your, 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 you're likely to not cause yourself a lot of pain and suffering going forward. And this is where Esau, listen, you can't, you, you can't make somebody do the right thing. Okay. You cannot make anybody do the right thing. However, you can make sure that your action, you did your best in your time that you have here to not lead other people down the wrong road. And I'll just use a quick example. For example, let's just Esau was leading his family in a biblical way, putting God first in his life. And let's say one of his sons or grandsons ultimately went off on the wrong path. Well, that happens sometimes. You know what I mean? You, you, you're not going to, you can't make other people's choices for them. However, Esau's going to be able to look back on his life and be like, you know what? I did the best I could. And, you know, Esau went off and did this and... I did. I didn't do anything to contribute to that, or I did my best not to contribute to anything that led him ultimately down that path. That was a decision he made on his own that he may have picked up from somebody else. You know, I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. I'm just saying that's what gives me more comfort is just knowing that hey, I'm I'm doing as much is doing as little damage as con, I'm doing as much damage control as possible when I'm living according to the Bible. And not only that, I think I'm planting seeds for generations to come that'll ultimately be awesome. You know what I mean? Be awesome, not because I'm awesome, but because I get to be part of God's plan, which I think is great. You know what I mean? God's awesome. And I just get to play a tiny little part in that. That's exciting and super fun. So Esau's descendants, did he blow it? Did he make the wrong choices in his life? Did he make mistakes? Yes, everyone made mistakes. Jacob made mistakes too. However, was Esau putting God first in his life and being as wise as he could have been? I think we see several examples from, from what we know about Esau where he blew it, you know what I mean? Or he didn't, he didn't have the right frame of mind. So Jacob did too. We all do, okay? Christians aren't perfect. You know, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a super morally great person by any means. 
okay? But you should be striving for that. You should be struggling to achieve that. And uh, if you're not, then I would have to ask you, you know, are you really, uh, are you really putting God first? Is God really that important to you? So, um, yeah. So family tree, descendants, genealogy, what impact do you want to, do you want to have on future generations? Do you want to have an alcohol, uh, an alcohol induced party lifestyle, over-sexualized impact, selfish, greedy, money hungry, whatever it is, filled with energy. Is that the type of impact you want to have in future generations? This is the spot where you say either yes or no. And then once you've said no, then you think, okay, well, what do I, what do I do? Then put God first in your life. Start reading the Bible. Go to church, serve at the church. See how you can have an impact on the people around you in a positive way. God calls us to love God and love people. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Check that out. Then also make disciples of all nations. So if you want to know what to do, that's it. And have fun with it. You can totally have fun. Christians, you don't have to be super lame to be a Christian or to do the right thing. Okay. That's what I used to think. I was not very smart. I was very unintelligent to think that. You totally have an amazing, super fun, cool life. Trust me. Look at Justin's hat right now, okay? Does that guy not look like he's having fun? I mean, come on. <laughs> Justin, anything else before we sign off? No, man, that was great advice. Make good choices. That's right. Make, I love making abstract statements like that. Make. <laughs> That's right. Well, everybody, looking forward to chapter 37. Bros, mm. have a brotastic bro day, and we will bro you later.